What's up, y'all? This is Shelby with Stories with Shelby on another episode where we bring on a special guest to share a story from his or her life. Because you know what? Life is way too short to live a great story or a difficult story or an interesting story and not come back and share that story and those takeaways with the rest of us. Uh, so today, calling in on the line here, we have a very special guest calling in from the sunny state of Florida. 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 Yeah, woo! We have, uh, as I call him, PJ, uh, but as the rest of the world probably calls him, Justin. Justin, say hey to the listeners here. Hey, everybody. Great to be here, Shelby. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, Justin. We are excited to have you here. So in Stories with Shelby fashion, we have to ask you a random question of the day. If you could meet up with anybody, anybody living, let me preface that a bit here, who would it be and why? That's a good question. If I could meet with anybody living in the world today, probably I'm going to nerd out a little bit and I would say I'd want to meet with Elon Musk. So for our listeners, uh, Elon Musk is actually the, the CEO of SpaceX. He also is involved with Tesla. And I'm a big space flight enthusiast, and I am so amazed at what he is doing um, just in the area of space flight. But really, his determination coming from literally nothing and saying, hey, I want to build a company that puts somebody on Mars, and really seeing the pace that he's done over the last 10 or 15 years has been remarkable, going from nothing, no experience, and taking a lot of his hard earnings, just investing it and seeing this incredible productivity and just how it's uh, responding. And it's really cool being in South Florida. I actually get to see his launches now. So uh, I'd love to actually meet him in person. I think that would be cool from a a personal standpoint and from the engineering nerdy side too. I'd, I'd like that very, very much. Yeah, cool. Well, hey, not the answer that I was expecting. You know, as you're walking down the street, that's what people say. I can't, I can't wait to meet Elon Musk. Uh, but <laughs> hey, I, I love it. And uh, you're, you're well thought through reasoning behind it, too. Well, hey, let's not uh, delay anymore because I am eager and excited to hear your story here today. So let's go ahead and jump right in with you and give you the platform to go ahead and share your story with us. Awesome. Thanks, Shelby. So uh, like I said, I love space flight. I love aviation in general. So today I want to tell you a little story about one of the flights that I took several years ago. So I've, I've always had an interest in aviation and coming out of college after I paid off my debt, I immediately went and got my pilot's license and just really pursued a dream that I always had, which I think is critical. People ought to do that. And looking back, I'm glad I did that then because I don't think I would do it now. I don't think I would spend that money on that now. But I'm super glad I did, and I, I love being a pilot. I don't get to fly as often anymore, but it's still a passion and a love of mine. And very often, I think back to particular flights that I've done that have been very memorable and been a lot of fun. And uh, this is probably one of those that uh, is memorable, maybe not as much fun. And I want to tell you, Shelby, I've actually never shared this particular story before. So this is an exclusive just for stories with Shelby, and uh, I hope that it's I hope it's enjoyable. So anyway, so I had finished my flight training. At this point, I was certified, and I was flying on my own. It was definitely different, like up by yourself a lot, and now you don't have an instructor. You don't have any safety backup, shall we say. It's all on you. And uh, as you progress, now that you can fly on your own, you can finally take passengers. And taking passengers is another level of responsibility being the pilot, because not only you don't have any backup, you don't have another pilot with you. Now it's not just your life that you're holding, you're holding somebody else's life and they're with you, which is awesome. And it allows people to experience things they've never seen before. But at the same time, as a pilot, you feel that weight. So this is earlier in my aviation journey. And I had taken some passengers, but this is probably within the first half dozen or dozen of people that I had taken flying. And uh, I had a friend of mine 
but it was during the summer and he had asked me repeatedly, dude, I, I want to go flying. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I said, when the night is right, we'll take you up. And uh, I knew that this individual wanted more of a sightseeing flight. So I wanted to find the perfect night that was, you know, kind of calm wind where you could see well. And usually with flying in the evening, you get a little bit of a sunset. So it's just absolutely gorgeous. Like it is, it is life-changing, Shelby. When you get up in the air and see it, it's like, it is addictive. And like, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, I wish I was up there more frequently. But anyway, so we pick out this perfect night, Shelby. And like, it is a gorgeous end of the summer night before it's starting to get cool, before fall has happened. And uh, just literally the, the, the most perfect night anyone could ask for for aviation. Um, I did all my prep work before my passenger came out. So he didn't have to wait for that. Did all my weather checks, got pulled out the plane, got it ready. And I'm looking out and I can see the mountains off in the distance. Mm. And this is like, literally, I can't wait to get off the ground. It's going to be a gorgeous night. So my friend hops in the aircraft, go ahead and fire up. We taxi it out and uh, we head off and take off. And that's a very unique experience for people when they have not sat in the front seat of an aircraft to begin with. When you fly commercially, you never get to see the bird's eye view. And so that, that is usually a pretty cool experience too. So we go ahead and we fly out. And what I indicated to my passenger was that we were gonna fly out towards the mountains and we were gonna fly over the mountains. And we had several hours before sunset. So that would have given some good views of seeing the sun and the mountains. We have seen all the trees and we were gonna kind of fly out that way. There was another smaller airport in that direction. And uh, we might, if it's nice and open, it's not busy, we might fly in there and land real quick because we can and just experience it. Nothing, not a big airport. We're just going to do basically a sightseeing flight. So we go ahead and we take off and we start flying. And it is a picture perfect night, Shelby. I mean, mm -hmm. like this is what you asked for, like smooth air. It's gorgeous out, great visibility, everything. And we start heading towards the mountains and I'm flying at a, not, I wouldn't saw, call it a low altitude, but it is the lowest altitude I would do for sightseeing for a general flight. I'm not in danger, I'm not close to anything, but I wouldn't go any lower for normal cruising. So we get up to the altitude and I look over the mountains and I can see off the distance this beautiful sun and you can see it kind of starting to go down and I can see all this haze that is behind the mountains. And it's almost kind of, uh, not billowing, but it's it's definitely on the far side of the mountains that we were going. And looking at this, when you look at it, it doesn't look like a cloud, but it looks very, very hazy to the point that you cannot see the ground. It's not very good for a sightseeing flight. And so I looked at my, my passenger and I said, hey, you know, we had planned on going this direction. I don't think this is going to give us the flight that we had planned for. Now, I'm not on any type of particular flight plan. I'm in an area where I have the liberty to change and do what I want. I'm flying under visual flight rules, so I'm doing everything by sight. I'm not doing anything under strict or any strict flight plan. So I said, how about this? Instead of going over the mountains like we had planned, I said, how about we kind of go alongside the mountains? And you'll still get to see the mountains. You'll see this side, which is perfectly clear and gorgeous. And you'll get to see the sun and everything still. But we're just going to modify this a little bit, go a slightly different direction. And I had other places that we could go look at that'd be interesting. And my passenger's like, cool. Well, of course, he's going to be cool with it because that's what we're doing. I asked him, all right, but literally that's what we're going to do, being a pilot. So we start flying in that direction. We probably fly for 20 or 30 minutes in that direction. And literally the, the gorgeous flight, everything's gorgeous, beautiful. And uh, we're flying kind of, again, instead of perpendicular going over the mountains, we're parallel to the mountains. And uh, we go that way for, like I said, about a half an hour. And we said, okay, we're going to kind of turn around now. We'll go the other way down the mountains. We'll go a little bit further beyond where we first came. And then we'll swing back to the airport that we originated from. When I turned back, Shelby, this is when I noticed that the haze that was behind the mountains had started to spill 
over the mountains and it had spilled into the valley quite significantly. And this was happening, I would say very decently rapidly. This surprised me because it was a very calm night. There wasn't winds and being a pilot, you're always trying to consider what's going on. You're trying to think 10 minutes ahead of the airplane, where you're flying, what's going to happen. This caught me, I'll be honest, caught me a little bit off guard. And it was not in any type of the weather reports I'd gotten. The haze wasn't to begin with, not in the area. So this was a little bit odd to me. I was like, okay, well, no big deal. It's haze. I don't think it's going to be a problem. But as we started heading back to that direction, what we noticed was that this haze was very low altitude haze. And it was putting it right at our level. Now, I have as a pilot flying under visual flight rules, meaning I need my sight for this particular flight that I've been on. I have certain minimums. So the FAA says that you need to be able to see for this many miles, you need this many clearance from clouds. I was within my legal rights to fly, but I was at the bare minimums. And so my visibility was very much limited. And by the time we came back to where we had kind of come alongside the mountains, it had spilled so much haze over that now it was covering the area and the airport that we had originated from. And now I couldn't see. Now I say I couldn't see, I could not see where I'd come from. I still had the ability to see my immediate area, but not everything I was. And this, this alarmed me a little bit, but again, I've got a passenger on board and I cannot, as the pilot, you know, scare, freak out my passenger. And so I don't know to this day, I don't know what my passenger thought. He, maybe he thought I had the whole thing to control. I'll be honest, I am getting very, very nervous at this point because I cannot fully see what I expected. This is not what I would have chosen to fly in. And again, it's like an extreme opposite. This must be a gorgeous night. And then all of a sudden it's like, I, I can't even, I can't even get a good sightseeing flight in. And so as we are now in the middle of this, I'm like, I, I turned to my passenger very calmly. I said, you know what? You know, this haze has crept over. I, I think we should probably go ahead and call it a night. I said, I'll take it back out another night when it's better visibility and you can enjoy a better sightseeing chance. Maybe we'll be able to go over the mountains at time. And, you know, I said very calmly. And I think he was fine with it. On the inside, though, literally, I'm starting to freak out because I was counting on being able to see the airport for my return. Now, there are other methods I can use to get to the airport, but I had planned for that. Now, as I am trying to figure out what to do, I'm like, okay, well, I have a couple of options, one of which is to use the instrumentation on board my aircraft. Well, this particular aircraft I was flying, it was one of the cheapest ones I could rent at the airport. This is before I owned an airplane, so I was renting this aircraft. It was one of the cheapest ones, which means it was not equipped with GPS. Now, if it had been equipped with GPS, it would have been so simple. I would have punched in the airport, I would have gotten a line, and I could have gone directly there. So I started to radio in, trying to figure out where we were at. I got a rough idea, but since I was close to the originating signal of the radio, I couldn't precisely figure out where I was at. So I'll be honest, I took my best logical guess and I called up the airport and I said, hey, this is where we're at. Not really knowing precisely this is where we're at, but it was close, it was close, I knew that. So this is where we're at, we want permission to come in for landing. So I gave a request landing permission and they say, come on in. And I remember the, the, um, the air traffic controller told me, come on in, basically, I'm, I'm using um, easy terms, basically come on in, there's nobody else flying here. And that's what I realized, if nobody else is flying, this is another reason that we really need to kind of bring this in. So we kind of aimed for the right direction and I started my descent and we went down a thousand feet and everything opened up and it was beautifully clear. At that point, I realized that I was slightly off. I was probably several miles off. But at that point, I had still plenty of time to correct, and I went ahead and adjusted our course, came in, 
did a beautiful landing, got my passenger down safely. To this day, I don't think my passenger realized that there was anything really amiss going on. I think he just thought it wasn't the best night for sightseeing. But for me, this was a very stressful flight situation. And I can remember getting down on the ground and I was like, I am so thankful to be on the ground. There are probably other things I can do. And looking back now, having flown for more years, there were definitely other things that I could have done better in that flight. But just being honest, that's what I came up with. That's what I did. And mm -hmm. it worked out, but it was, it was a little bit frightening. We came back, we landed, we put fuel in the tank, parked the plane for the night. So it all worked out in the end. But I think after having that experience, first of all, it didn't dissuade me from continuing to fly, obviously. But it was probably one of those situations that really woke me up to, okay, this is you know it's serious, but this is the first time I was probably put in a pretty serious environment where I need to make some decisions that not only my life depended on, but somebody else's life held in the balance. And I remember I came back and I parked the airplane. Probably the first question I think any pilot would do is what did I do wrong? Because th this should have been preventable. So what did I do wrong? And I went back and I checked my weather reports. There was no indication of any haze that was going to be out there that night. I had checked not just my local area, but the areas surrounding, including uh, beyond the mountains, and I didn't see anything out of it. There are no pilot reports of it. And so I, I don't see how I could have really figured it out. And I remember after we parked the plane, I looked back towards the mountains where the haze was at. And if you looked from the ground and looked up, you really couldn't see it. You would have to be up near it in order for it to see it. It was thick enough when you were close by, but not really thick enough. You would look at it and just say it's a summer night. I think, you know, it was, it was definitely a learning experience for me flying, but I think it also kind of taught me some things about life along the way too. And I think one of the things is too is that everyone in their life, you're going to encounter unexpected haze. There's going to be times in your life that you are going along and you think that you've got the greatest plan in the world. You've got a plan. You are very well equipped and you're very well skilled in what you're setting out to do. You might be pursuing a dream. It might be something you're doing with your work. It might be something towards your calling. But unexpectedly, you might wind up in an area of haze. And you cannot see where you're going. And I think the, the takeaway from this is that you shouldn't flee from that. It's something that you were designed and built to work through. And it is scary. It, it's, it can be a little bit frightening. And I think that is something that we shouldn't be necessarily afraid of. I think it's something that we should understand is very realistic and will happen in your life. And for you listening today, if, if you haven't experienced this yet, trust me, it's coming. And going through it, you will become a better person for it. It just may not be the most fun experience. That flight for me was not the most fun flight I've ever had in my life. It was one of the most stressful ones. And life does that to you sometimes. But I can tell you one thing that going through that very well prepared me for future flights. It made me a better pilot. And I think for us that sometimes going through the hazy conditions, going through times that we cannot fully see our path forward, where the plan that we had that was perfect is now thrown out the window, I think that makes us and builds us into a better person. I think it's very important for that. And, and I don't know, Shelby, maybe, maybe you've experienced those kind of unforeseen things in life, but I think it's very critical in helping building us. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as you encounter that haze or any kind of difficulty, you know, obviously just using your haze as your analogy here, but so often our human nature is to immediately get on our knees and say, God, take away the haze. God, right, right. take away this challenge. Let's just go back to smooth sailing. But when you think about it, what's the point of that? Like, we right. don't promise smooth sailing. Oh, wait, now, now maybe in your flight you were. <laughs> but, but in an everyday experience, I mean, you're, you're not promised smooth sailing. You're, you're going to run into obstacles. I mean, come on. Those difficulties and obstacles further refine our purpose in life. It helps fashion us even better. So I'd say that's probably one of the, the takeaways I got from that is, you know, don't be afraid of that. Hayes, work through it. It's going to make you a better person for it. 
Another thing that happened was as soon as I parked that plane, said goodbye to my friend, the mm -hmm. next stop that I did was I went straight to Best Buy and I bought myself an iPad mini so I could have GPS on board. So I actually went out and bought that. So that way I would have a portable GPS unit with me all the time. Literally, I went there and it was like 8.30 at night. I was like, dude, I need an iPad. I need this. I need it for, uh, for aviation, for navigation purposes. So I think in life too, it's very important to have some sort of anchor where you have a GPS direction because going through haze without it is challenging. It can be done. It's definitely not the best way, but I can't tell you when I was seeing that aircraft all it's thinking in my mind is, man, if I had a GPS, I could just punch this in and boom, I would know exactly where to go. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, being a person of faith, being a Jesus follower, I am so thankful for the relationship I have with God in my life because that is my secure mm -hmm. foundation. That is my GPS. Even when things don't make sense to me, even when things are happening that I cannot see through, I know that I can trust and depend on God. I know that he will guide me through that. And I'm very thankful for that opportunity. And sometimes I look at the world, not from a perspective that I'm better than others, but I'm very thankful that I have my relationship with Jesus Christ and I can mm -hmm. walk through life with that. It makes me wonder sometimes, how do people get through mm -hmm. life without having Christ to guide you, without the Holy Spirit leading you? And it's not, again, that I'm saying, well, I'm better than them. It really is an encouragement to me that, hey, I want to be better to equip you to get into a relationship with mm -hmm. Jesus Christ so that you have this same person that loves you, that cares for you, and that wants to guide you through life. I think that's so critical as we walk through life, both through the difficult times and the easy times alike. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just listening to a sermon the other day. I was talking about the difference between a light to your steps right now versus a light to the whole path. And, right. and often we want to see the whole path. We want to see, you know, God, light it up. Let me see exactly where I'm going. 200 steps from now, 500 steps from now, 1,000 steps from now. And often God's like, nope, kiddo, I'm going to show you the two steps in front of you. And it's super hazy and you don't know what's on the other side of it, but I'm going to show you two steps and keep taking just these two steps at a time. Now, five steps at a time. And it's funny how that works in life. Now, I would not do that in a plane. You're braver nope. than I. I. I have no experience in that department. But just speaking of life in general, you got to just have the faith, take the couple steps that you can now, and trust that your GPS, which, you know, for me also would be God, is going to lead you the rest of the way. But you're right. Doing life without a GPS, I don't know how people do it. I really don't. <laughs> I can't imagine it. It is a step of faith. It stretches your faith and it stretches your faith even more when you're going through situations and seasons like what we're talking about. But yeah, I'm super thankful for that. So that was one of the first things I bought. And again, as a takeaway from my life, you know, I've just, I've always come back to that Christ is my anchor. Even if I can't sit, I can trust his following, his leading and his guidance in my life. Probably one of the other things I was super thankful for too, was the amount of training that I had received during pilot training for experiences like this. So when you get through pilot training, they actually take you through scenarios where they put what's called a hood over your face. So it actually blocks your vision so you cannot see outside of the aircraft. All you can see is the instruments in front of you. As a development process, they give you for a visual flight rules pilot, for a basic private pilot, they give you several hours of that instruction not to fully equip you to be a professional, but so that if you get into a situation, you're not disoriented. And I was very thankful for the training that I had from a flight instructor that purposed a lot of time and energy and passed on a lot of experience so that when a situation like that happened where I didn't have anybody else on board, I had no extra help inside the aircraft. In fact, I had someone else's life that was depending on me to do my job correctly. I was so thankful for that training. 
for that mentoring. And I think in our lives, it is very, very critical for us to have that mentoring type of aspect from both directions, one that we are receiving and one that we are giving. And I think this is very well pictured in the life of Christ with disciple making. Christ took so much time to invest into his disciples, not so that they could be self-absorbed and just do the, the job themselves, but that they could pass it on to other individuals. And I think our responsibility is, regardless of your personal faith, or maybe you're not, the things that you've been entrusted with to mentor on to other people, to pass on that, to take people, to give them time and to pour into them. And that's the key behind this is that it takes time. My flight instructor invested many, many hours with me, both in the cockpit and on the ground to ensure that I would be not just properly trained, but as best trained as possible for what was going to be ahead. And in life, we should be doing the same. We should be passing on the very best that we've been given from the Lord, from others, to other individuals, to equip them, to empower them. And I, I really come back to, from the faith perspective, this disciple-making process. And this is something, Shelby, that's really been on my heart for probably about the past year, is just this idea that we have to do a better job as people of faith of being disciple-makers. That's what Christ said. He invested in the people not necessarily into the large crowd all the time, but one-on-one -on -one more particularly into small group settings to empower people, to equip them for all stages of life. And I think that is the model that we need to follow of what Christ had done, that just like 1 John 2, 6 says that we ought to walk after Christ. We ought to do the same thing. We, we walk after Christ and we pass on to individuals. That mentorship, that disciple-making is so critical. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, now that you mentioned that, I uh, attended a seminar one time, and I remember the speaker, he blew me away because his question right out the gate was, tell me something you've done completely 100% on your own. And of course, everybody jumps right to it, and oh, you know, I got my degree, and oh, I got this job, and you know, oh, I started a family, and oh, I found my mate, and oh, we bought a house, and, and he's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Did you actually do that by yourself? 100% by yourself. Because, oh, hold on, you, you and your spouse bought the house together. You didn't buy the house. Oh, 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 you had mentors praying over you when right. you met and when you dated and when you courted and when you got together. Oh, 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 you had a professional mentor who, who, who prepped you for the interview, who helped, who helped, you know, tweak your resume and helped, you know, get you get ready for your career. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. What did you do by yourself? Like, it's crazy. I think it's so easy for us to just be selfish and consumed. I don't, I don't need a mentor. Like, I got this, you know, and that's just not the case. And, and, and two, it makes me think of those, like, I know they're just like cartoons, but it's zoomed in on a person. And what you don't see when you zoom out is, okay, that person's sitting on someone else's shoulders and they're sitting on someone else's shoulders and someone else's shoulders. Right. And I mean, that's, you know, not practical because you can't have 15 people sitting on each other's shoulders, mm -hmm. but the symbolism here is pretty cool. Like whose mm -hmm. shoulders are you sitting on right now? Who helped you get to where you are? And now who can you say, tag, you're it. I'm going to help you get to your next level. So I love that. I'm, I'm, I feel very strongly about, about mentorship too. So I would definitely tell our listeners that if you don't have a mentor, go get one, find someone yes. that can pour into you. It's very critical, whether you're on your journey of faith, whether you're just in personal development and you want to become a better person, a better spouse, better in your relationships, better in your job, your workplace, whatever it is, find a mentor, someone that you can be vulnerable and transparent around because you need to be in order to receive those things. And then the back end, don't forget, it is your responsibility to mentor other people, to invest <laughs> in other people. And it takes time. It gets messy. I got to look at Jesus Christ as our model. He was working with people that had messy backgrounds. The disciples weren't like the clean cut individuals they were. <laughs> he, he had some pretty good conversation with them to correct some things. It just takes time. It takes a heart of care and compassion. And the things that you are entrusted with are enough. 
They are powerful enough coming from God, coming from your experiences. They are meant for other people. Never believe the lie that what you've been given is not good enough to pass on. Mm -hmm. It is your privilege and responsibility to invest and mentor in other people. And I believe in doing so that you're going to ignite passion and purpose individuals that are going to be to live out more to their dreams, their callings, their desires. And ultimately, I think that when people do that, when they step up in their generosity and mentoring other people and start living the way they were designed to be, you really can create, it sounds cheesy, a better world, but you can really allow people to step up and and create a better environment, whether it's their workplace, their relationships, their walk with Christ, it's all available. But sometimes we do need that mentoring. So to our listeners, go get a mentor, find a mentor. That is your homework. You need to do that. I I cannot say that enough. Absolutely. Yep. So Justin, thank you again for being on. Um, thanks Absolutely. for making time, calling in from the sunny state of Florida. We appreciate that. And uh, for sharing just some of your heart and lessons learned from a, a fun story. Um, so for our listeners, thank you for tuning in here. Uh, whatever time of day it is and wherever you're tuning in from, thank you for being here. And thanks for listening to Justin's story. And and if you have a story that you want to share, please just don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on, on any of the social medias or if social media is not your thing. You can shoot us an email at storieswithshelby at gmail.com. And as always, for more information, visit www.storieswithshelby.com, and we will see y'all at the next story.